Hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to be glorified, to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles, and I will sing to thy name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we consider it together, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to your people. Speak that our souls may hear. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, Savior, friend, and coming King. And we say together, amen and amen. Please be seated. Today we are in the second Sunday in Advent, a week normally given to the consideration of peace and John the Baptist. And sometimes you think, wow, those two things shouldn't come together. He just came down throwing grenades. Uh, And he did. He preached a hard message of come to God uh, and get right because God's doing something powerful and good in the world. And and I do think there is a sense that these two things uh, can come together in in a profound sense. Uh, In this readings for Advent week two is also this passage of scripture from Romans. Uh, And this Romans passage is about life together in the body of Christ. Paul is writing to a group of people from different backgrounds who have a common confession. And their confession is Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, And they were struggling together how to live out this faith in the world. Uh, You have people within their group who are saying you had to keep this dietary law or do this or do that. And others says, oh no, uh, we're we're beyond that. And and we live in this way. And and they were having some some friction between them. Uh, Paul called the two groups the weak and the strong. uh, And he certainly was on a side of it. uh, But he called for for understanding and for love uh, and for sacrifice as they called for life together. Uh, Paul was not a person who was without strong, strong, strong conviction. But he wanted the church to be governed uh, with a balance between convictions and and a recognition. I'm just making up a word. A realization that some things are matters of opinion and don't uh, rise to the level uh, of of conviction. And you have that in, in chapter 14, verse 1. He says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgments on his opinions. 
And that, that's a key word in understanding this because he understands that there are some things, although important, uh, are matters of opinion, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't fall out with each other uh, over, over those. Uh, in this immediate context, it was about eating meat and drinking wine. Uh, there are other examples in our own current life. For instance, I'm standing here today wearing a sort of a boring gray suit and a tie. Now, there's no rule that says I have to wear a boring gray suit and a tie written down. <laughs> I wasn't given that when I was hired, uh, but there is sort of an un, unspoken rule, uh, and, and y'all have been cool about that, uh, but, but that's, not, that's not something for which Jesus gave his life, and there may be reasons why we adjust the, the way that I dress. You wear whatever you want to. I've noticed that, uh, but there may, be, there may be reasons that I have to adjust for, for certain reasons, uh, and, and that may start just a little bit of a conversation, and it shouldn't, but it would. There are churches across town who I love the pastors and, and we're friends, but there are also unwritten rules of dress for them, and it's that they wear skinny jeans and flannel. <laughs> if they were to walk in the church wearing clothes like mine, they would be just as in trouble with their congregates as I am if I came in wearing, well, skinny jeans and flannel. <laughs> Let me assure you for a moment, if, if I chose to change attire, it would not be into skinny jeans and flannel. I would look like the capital letter B in skinny jeans. Uh, I would be in trouble. I could probably get them on, but getting them off would be a real challenge. I'd just have to wear them the rest of my life or have them surgically removed. Uh, back in Mississippi, there were two pastors. One was named Mickey Dalrymple, and the other was named uh, Gene, old, old Gene Henderson. And Gene was the pastor in a church, and Mickey followed him in Columbus, big, big church in Columbus, Mississippi, the biggest church in town. Uh, and Mickey started uh, his first Sunday. They were going to baptize a bunch of kids. It was right after vacation Bible school. He's going to baptize a bunch of kids. And they said, Brother Mickey, no problem. We've got Brother Gene's waiters, and they're one size fit all. Now, Gene Henderson was built like Kurt Krushwitz, and Mickey Dalrymple was built like me. Well, he got in the waiters, but getting them off required two deacons <laughs> and great effort. So I, I won't switch to skinny jeans because it would require the, the building and grounds committee to get me out of there. Uh, but but these, are, these are not... Not unimportant things because churches, these, these kind of how we sing, what we wear, how, how we organize certain things, different kind of strategies, uh, these, are, these are matters, uh, important matters, but they're matters uh, of opinion, but we bloody each other over them from time to time. And it's been that way for, for many, many years. And so Paul was, was helping them tease out those things that just weren't worth our bloodshed. Because he knew that that was a, an energy suck and an energy drain uh, and something that would diminish the witness of the church. But there are seasons where we, we have a hard time uh, with that because it seems like we're being asked to just pass on everything and that nothing is worth conviction. And Paul was not like that at all. So there is a great balance here, uh, and, it's, and it's hard for us uh, to be people who build a culture of peace, who also uh, maintain a faithful witness. It's always been hard. And, and I'm convinced we won't get it totally right until we get to heaven, but we're called to live out this tension. 
downtown, my hometown, there's big, beautiful churches all over the downtown area. There's the St. Patrick's Catholic Church and the First Baptist Church and First Christian Church and Central Methodist Church, St. Paul's Episcopal Church. Almost all the brand name churches had them a pretty building downtown. I think the prettiest building in downtown, my hometown, uh, is First Presbyterian Church. It's a beautiful, beautiful building. Uh, one time they called my dad panicking because the, the, the youth from the Methodist church came home from a trip and they didn't get the emergency brake fully down on one of the vans and it crashed into the side of the, the church. And they said, Tim, can you help us? And we went down there and propped that building up for a while with some stuff he had in a warehouse. But a beautiful, beautiful place right downtown. Uh, they're part of a denomination called the Evangelical Presbyterians. Uh, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church are kind of a uh, sort of a, uh, a middle-range kind of Presbyterian in between the left and the right, and, and they want to be winsomely orthodox, just not mad about it. And the Evangelical Presbyterians have adopted the same, the same slogan uh, as the Moravians in the United States, and it's this old quote, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. And it's written right across their, their education building in big letters. And I would see that phrase as I would pass by that church every day on my way to the office. Like so many quotes, people attribute this one to Augustine. That's because they're lazy, and it sounds good to say Augustine once said. This didn't come from Augustine, but from an unknown Lutheran pastor named Men Meldenus. He was. He don't, nobody knows him because his last name's so difficult to pronounce. He was kind of a small-time pastor who pastored during the Thirty Years' War. He began to say this, and Richard Baxter picked up on it, and it got famous on both sides of the great body of water. And there's some wisdom to it: in essentials, unity; in non-essentials, liberty; in all things, charity. I believe this is the spirit of Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 15. So much of our fighting is just not worth it. But there are times when faithful disagreements need to arise. And when they do, we must be people of great love and great charity as we go about talking as sisters and brothers in the faith. Because there are some times where we just can't say, agree to disagree. I think we all learned this from the, from the movie, The Anchorman. Do you remember Ron Burgundy? I'm sort of a big deal around here. It's about a local television caster in San Diego named Ron Burgundy. He wore this awful jacket, terrible mustache. Uh, and there's a scene where he's up on a hill looking into San Diego with a woman named Veronica, a woman he very much wanted to impress. And he's talking about San Diego, and he's giving her some nonsensical explanation about how uh, San Diego got its name. He said this was discovered in 1904 by the Germans. And uh, kept going on, and, uh, and, and she said, no, that, that can't be right. And this is Burgundy's response. I'm sorry, I was trying to impress you. I don't know what it means. I'll be honest, I don't think anyone knows what it means anymore. Scholars maintain that the translation was lost hundreds of years ago. And Veronica looks at Ron Burgundy and says, doesn't it mean St. Diego? Burgundy to Veronica, no, no. Veronica to Burgundy, no, that's, that's what it means, really. To which Ron Burgundy replies, agree to disagree. 
Well, there are times when agree to disagree doesn't work, and there are times when uh, it's not worth fighting, and we got to figure out between the two, and we have to proceed with great love and great care and with sacrificial grace toward one another. And this text of Scripture shows us how Paul, who was a blue-collar theologian, he was working it out as a missionary church planner. It gives us some of the spirit of just making Christ known around the world and suffering in, in the midst of that and wanting the fame and the glory of Christ to burn brightly everywhere he went and everywhere he believed God had sent him and to do it in concert with all of God's people that were living out the faith in very concrete situations and from very different backgrounds. So the question before us is, how do we remain faithful and true? And how do we make peace in the church and in the world, offering together a common witness to Jesus Christ as Lord? Well, I don't think all the answers to that question are in these verses, but I think a few of them are. And for the next few moments this morning, I just want to explore three of them. Because this is a sermon and three points generally work. So if you brought your pencil, let's write down, beginning with this first one. We can remain faithful and make peace in the church and the world by taking courage from the scriptures. I love this line in in chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We've called ourselves for many generations people of the book, but I'm afraid the Scriptures have become something of a talisman and not something of a friend. And Paul called them to engage in Scripture in such a way that they received encouragement. And that encouragement led to endurance, and that endurance led to hope. What God has called us to in this earth is so challenging, we simply cannot do it on our own. And God has not asked us to. God, the God of all comfort, God, the God of all encouragement, offers us courage where we do not have courage. And one of the primary ways he does that is is through the Scriptures. The Scriptures given by God for us, useful and helpful for us. John Stott, the great Anglican pastor and commentator on Scripture, said that this beautiful sentence offers us five observations about the Scriptures that are very, very important. And I'll offer them to you now. One, it's contemporary intention. He said, these things written long ago, they are for us. They are for right now. They are for this place. So often we approach the scripture as as long ago and far, far away, like the opening scene from Star Wars. We, we say to one another in Sunday school, back in Bible times, 
And that's important to go back to Bible times and try to place ourselves in that contemporary setting because I don't believe the scriptures can mean what they never meant. But there's something that we have to, to appreciate about the scriptures and there is a right now, this moment, impact that God would have these scriptures to make on all of our lives. There's a contemporary importance to them, and, and Paul highlights that in this sentence. The second thing is their inclusive value. He's pulling from all over the place from the Bible that he read. There are passage here and passage there, and they're coming together to paint this beautiful picture of how we're to relate one to another within the community of faith. All of the Scripture is inspired by God and profitable and useful. Now, certainly, we need to learn the basic rules of interpretation. Uh, we call that hermeneutics, a great word, you know. We've got to learn how to not mangle the Scriptures and pull things out of their context and throw them like darts at one another. We've got to learn how to read it right. But we have to understand that all of it is given to us as a gift from God. Given to us and useful and profitable. And we must take that uh, into consideration. The third thing that Stott points out is the Christological focus of the Scriptures. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. He is the hope of Israel. He is the hope of the Gentiles. He is God in flesh walking among us. From the first page of the scripture to the last, Christ is the hero of the story. And we must read our Bibles through the lens of Jesus as they learned and yearned, as we learn, we must yearn for his kingdom to come in its fullness and for the strength and the power to live day by day as we eagerly await our blessed hope. The scriptures are centered on Christ. The fourth one is their, their practical purpose. What, what did Paul say the purpose of the scriptures was? He says, to fill you with courage, that you may persevere, that you may endure, that hope would be born in your life. One of the greatest challenges that everybody has living on this planet is the temptation to despair. The temptation to want to quit. To want to wash your hands and be done of the whole thing. I don't know a person alive who, when pressed and is honest, would say, I haven't had some moment in my life where I just wanted to slow it all down until it stopped. And there is a practical purpose in this scripture that God has given us and called us to interact with. And that practical purpose is to give us courage so that we'll get up and that we'll live. And as we live on the other side of discouragement, having been encouraged by God, we will become again and again and again and again and again and again and again people of hope. Prisoners, captives of hope. One of, the best, one of the best little descriptions of Christians in all the world is that they are prisoners of hope. They can't help it. Because God again and again and again keeps pouring that into their lives. 
after their own sin and failure and shame, encouragement comes. After the brokenness and the ugliness of the world, courage comes. And it comes through the scriptures that God has given us as a word of life, as bread for the journey and water for the thirsty. And the final one, Stott would say, one thing we learn from this is that the scriptures carry a divine message. He says, God continues to speak through what he has spoken. I hope you read widely. Somebody taught you how to read. Years ago, somebody sat down and taught you how to read. And I hope you take that gift that someone else gave you, and I hope you read widely. I hope you read all kind of stuff. I absolutely love to read. I didn't for a long time. Uh, my parents would buy books that they thought I would read about baseball players and, and whatnot. But somewhere along the line, I just, I just determined I liked knowing stuff, and to know stuff, you had to read. And in the process, I fell in love with reading. But we can't read the scripture like we read everything else. There's something unique about it. Because as we read the scripture with a mind toward faithfulness and a heart full of love for God, recognizing that God loved us first, we open ourselves to, to growth. We open ourselves to the rhythm of God's grace. We open ourselves to the voice of the Creator and the Redeemer speaking to us and calling Correcting, guiding, encouraging, holding us up, swinging like a hammer and tearing us down, and putting us back together again. God yet speaks using the words that He has spoken. So, by way of application, let me suggest this. Let me put the cookies on the lowest possible shelf. If you own a really nice, good study Bible that helps you understand the background and walks through the verses and helps get you in touch with all of that, if you have one of those, go find it. I know it's kind of heavy. You don't like to tote it around, but go and find it. Uh, if you don't have one of those, put it on your Christmas list. Just, just find it in the Sears Roebuck catalog and highlight it like you used to do when you were a kid. Or tell a friend. Or how about this? Go out and buy one for yourself. Uh, you need recommendations, send me a text, uh, carry your pigeon, phone call, whatever. I'll, I'll help guide your steps on some of this stuff. But go ahead this Advent season before Christmas and get a really healthy, good Bible that you can study, that you can read, and that you can read for pleasure, and that you can read hungry in desperation, that you can read for joy, and that you can read as someone who's trying to find some bread and some encouragement. Get one. Number two, this, write this one down. This is good. You'll forget about it. Number two, pick out a plan and set as a goal to read that Bible in 2017. You can do it in 72 hours if you did it all at once. At least that's what they do on books on tape. You got 72 hours in the next year. It takes a little discipline. It takes a plan and you'll have to read a bunch of stuff you think's weird, a bunch of names that you can't pronounce. I, I hate pronouncing Old Testament names. I really do, because I stand in this room, and, and, and there's so many people here who know how to pronounce those names. And there have been times I've just called Ron Cook and, and just spelled a name and said, please pronounce this for me. 
You'll have to read some of those words that are hard. There's that second page. We'll be done with that later. I'll preach all afternoon. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, one time, George W. Truett's notes fell in the mud at Paisano, and someone gave them back to him, and everybody got mad because he could preach, and he would do it a long, long, long time. Uh, here we go. Uh, so get you a Bible and learn how to read it and read it all this year. Get it done in 2017. God will speak to your life and bring encouragement. So that's number one. The second thing, I don't need that because that's page one. Uh, <laughs> the, second, the second thing you can do is that you can follow the example of Jesus. If we're going to wage peace and if we're going to remain faithful, our model in this whole thing is Jesus. Listen to this verse number seven. Wherefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the Father. Now back up in the first verse of chapter 15. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and for his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach thee fell upon me. Jesus walked among us and he did two things. He welcomed us, and He called us to new life. He offered us transforming grace, and He offered us radical acceptance. He put His hands on our leprosy. He sat at our table, and He called us to life. And He bore in His flesh the pain of bringing us together under His Lordship. He served the purposes of God's glory and God's truth. And that love of his uh, and that commitment to God caused his eyes to look into every set of eyes all around the world and say, I'm for you. And speak the words, whosoever. Jesus set the pattern he set the pattern for waging peace. And that's costly acceptance and a deep commitment to the glory of God and His truth. We're all tempted to create Christ over into our own image. The book of Colossians says that uh, all things were made by Him and all things were made for Him. And we turn around, having been created in the image of God, and we return the favor. I've seen every version of Jesus there possibly is. I've seen the libertarian Jesus and the communist Jesus. Uh, I've seen the Republican Jesus, the grenade chunking Jesus. I've seen all the Jesuses. And they almost always look like us. Except for the Jesus of Scripture. Who messed in all of our plans. And said, I'm here to transform every single last one of you. You religious guys who got it all together. 
and you women who hang out at the well all by yourself because nobody else will talk to you. I'm for every last one of you, Nicodemus, and you no-name lady at the well. I bet he figured out her name. I'm for all of you, and I want to transform all of you, every single last one. He loves you. And yes, he wants to change you, transform you for his glory and according to his truth. And he would have us walk that way as well. And here's the final thing. If we want to be people who wage peace and remain faithful, we need to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Look at verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God did not redeem us and then say, good luck. Give it a a good try. God has called us to walking in the fullness of his spirit, to opening ourselves up to that again and again, and to receiving in our life, in our hearts, the peace and the joy and the hope that come from the power of the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You say, man, I thought all that happened when we gave our life to Christ. I thought we were one cup that got filled up. Okay, that's one image. But a better image may be a sail being filled with the wind as we're continually filled with the Spirit of God. As we continually offer ourselves up, as we submit ourselves to God, as we continually ask. Jesus said to his people, he said, God is good. And if you ask God for the Spirit, he will not give you a scorpion or a snake. He's better than the the best father you could ever imagine. He's good. And to those who ask him, he gives them the gift of the Spirit of God. Look, God's called us to wage peace with one another and in the world. And God's called us to remain true to the gospel. And the only way we can do that is through the strength that he provides through the indwelling power of his spirit. So again, by way of application, just get before God again and again. Starting as you crack your hymnal to sing today and say, God, I want to serve you and your peace in this world. I want to reflect your character and your values and your nature, your love, your mercy, your goodness, your faithfulness. I want all of that stuff to manifest in my life. And I can't do it unless you do it in and through me. And just humbly and boldly say, God, fill me with your spirit. And he will. And together as we walk humbly before God like that, we're drawn closer to him and simultaneously closer to one another. And God, in just the way God does it, turns us outward to reflect his heart to every last person on the planet for whom Christ died. 
God, we thank you for this Advent season, this season of preparation, this season of repentance and focus. Lord, we're so excited about Christmas coming up. And right now, Lord, as we prepare our lives and prepare our hearts, we pray that you forgive us, Lord, for misappropriating levels of importance. Sometimes, Lord, we fight over those things that don't matter that much, and we leave, we leave aside those things you have called us to in the clearest of ways. God, forgive us and fill us with yourself that we could serve you in this community and all around the world. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up. We're going to sing. This is the hymn of commitment. If you have made commitments in the privacy of your heart and would make them publicly today, we invite you to come as we sing uh, for God's glory and for your good. David?